This is a message from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Flemington, New Jersey. Come and worship with us every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. for our traditional service or at 10 a.m. for our contemporary service. And I just want you to say in your loudest, best Sunday voice, say, you are faithful. Are you ready? On three, one, two, three. Amen. He is certainly faithful. And we want to kind of start there as we wrap up uh, the uh, teaching series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Fully. Um, and as we do so, I also want to ask you to uh, make sure you pull out your uh, outlines. Uh, they're in your worship folder. Uh, they come in the form of this insert. It's got a beautiful graphic on one side. All of the outline information is on the back side. Uh, there might be a time or two where I ask you to read a verse with me. You never know. I'm prone to do that every now and then. Uh, so uh, if you'll have that handy, it also gives you an opportunity to fill in some blanks there and uh, follow along with uh, where we are going today. Uh, but as I said, we are wrapping up our teaching series that we uh, started a couple of weeks ago called Fully, uh, in which we're talking about all of the stuff that we have in this world and how we can and should use it in a way that honors and pleases God. And you may remember two weeks ago when we started this series, we talked about how everything, it is, everything that we have, everything in this world, it does belong to God. I mean, he created it all. He, he, we said that he is the only one who can rightfully say about everything in our world that it is fully mine. He's the only one that could say that. Now, we also acknowledge the fact that it still kind of feels like everything in our world is ours, and we said basically that that was because our outrageously generous God, he takes what is fully his, and he gives it to us, he invests it in us, and then he asks us to use it in ways that honor and glorify him and his purposes, right? So we got all that, we got all that clear. Uh, last week then, Pastor Chris did a great job of outlining the, ne the need for us to plan fully as well. Uh, that, that these things that we're talking about, they don't happen just by accident. They don't happen just because uh, we want them to or we think about them. Uh, but we actually need to intentionally sit down and plan for them and count the costs and consider the completion and all those great things. And so that brings us uh, to today. And as, I, and as I proceed here this morning, there's something that I want to mention to you that is important for us to uh, uh, realize. Uh, it's important, I think, for me to verbalize it. Uh, maybe you already have uh, kind of connected the dots in your mind, but I'm going to say it anyway, and it's the first point in your outline under God's investment in us. It's just simply this, that since everything is fully God's, you know, as he invests that with us and in us for our benefit and for the benefit of his kingdom, but since everything is fully God's, he also has the right to tell us what we can and can't, should and shouldn't do with what we have. It all belongs to him. It's his. He created it. It's fully his. He gives it to us. And so he has that right to tell us perhaps how we should use it. Um, he did that with Adam and Eve, right? Uh, as you continue in the, uh, in the uh, creation narrative, we get to Genesis chapter 2, uh, and we're going to look this morning at verse 8 and then 15 and 17. It's there in your outline. Uh, take a look with me at what it says. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. <clears throat> and the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And so what we have here is God has created everything. He, he places Adam and, and eventually he places Eve right in the middle of everything that he's created. He tells them that they are free to use and benefit from all of it except for one thing of it. He says, Stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. All, of, all, all the rest of the stuff is at your disposal, but I want you to stay away from that one tree. And it's kind of like he's saying, look, you know, I'm the one that created everything. I, I even created you, and I love you, and you know that I'm fully invested in you. 
I know what's best for you. I'm telling you this not because I want to keep you from something that's really great and grand, but because I know what is best for you. I created you. I love you. And I certainly know what's best for our relationship. And so just do this one thing. Stay away from that tree. And he kind of still does that with us today, right? I mean, think about this. He comes to us. He gives us all of the blessings that we have. He puts everything that is fully his at our disposal for our benefit and for the benefit of his creation. He gives us 100% of that which we have. And then he says, look, all I ask is that you set aside and give a portion back to me. Again, I'm the one who loves you. I am the one who created you. I am fully invested in you. I'm telling you these things not because I want to harm you, but because I have a plan for you, for your future, for what's best for you. I know what's best for you, and I also certainly know what's best for our relationship with one another, which, by the way, is the reason I created you. And yet it seems like we struggle with that, right? We, we struggle with heeding God's instructions, just Quite honestly, just like Adam and Eve struggled with heeding God's instructions. Uh, in fact, as we move along in Genesis, when we get to chapter 3, verse 6, listen to what it says. It says that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of, them, of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Just like that, the relationship with God was broken. Just like that, the joy that they once felt every time that they heard God's footsteps coming through the garden has now turned to fear. Just like that, uh, you know, what was once a place of fellowship with God has now become a place of hiding from God. You see, the ones in whom God had fully invested, thinking that they somehow knew better what was best for them and for their life, now they have divested themselves from God. He invested in them and they divested themselves from him. And you have to ask the question then, right? What is God going to do? What would God do? What would you do in that situation? Let me ask you this. What do you do? I mean, when, when, when someone takes all of the time and all of the effort and all of the money that you invest in them, but then decides that all of that just isn't enough for them, they're not content with it, they think there has to be more, they think somehow that you are withholding something from them, they're not content with it, what do you do? How do you respond? Well, when you have given everything you can for the benefit of another, and then they come and they ask for even more, what do you do? Do you, do you give them more? Do you invest in them more? I dare say that many times, probably not. In fact, more than likely, that's when the thought of just writing them off completely starts to creep into your thinking, right? And yet, thankfully, that's not how we see God respond to Adam and Eve. And that's not how he responds to you and to me. You see, rather than write them off, rather than throw up his hands in disappointment and, and lament over what a horrible investment that was, do you remember what God did? He immediately, immediately decided to restore and to rescue and to redeem his creation and his creatures. We see him lay that plan out for us right away in Genesis 3 verse 15. 
that while he was cursing the serpent, listen to what God said. It's there also in your outline. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Dear friends, that right there is a promise that God was gonna do something to rescue us. He was gonna send us a savior. And so what that tells us is that what God originally invested in, he would now reinvest in. He would actually double down on an investment gone bad and he reinvests. And if the original investment came at a price, the reinvestment would come at an even higher price. However costly the original investment, the reinvestment would be costlier. Actually, it would be costliest because the reinvestment would come at the cost of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's good news for you and me. You see, because the good good news there is the fact that he put this plan in place, not just for Adam and Eve, not just for the world, but for you specifically and for me specifically, for the times when when we too think that our plans are somehow better for us than God's plans, when when we think that, that we know what's best for us as we attempt to manage the investment that he has made in us. But it gets even better. Because perhaps the best news is the fact that the Bible tells us in Galatians 4.4 that when the time had fully come, God sent his son to redeem us, that we might receive the the full rights of sons. You see, he not only put a plan in place, but he executes that plan. He puts it in motion. And in doing so, he fully reinvests in us to rescue us, to redeem us, and to restore us. We're mixing things up a little bit here this morning. And by that, I just simply mean that we're going to pause at this point in our time together in God's Word, and and we're going to do that so we can celebrate the Lord's Supper, just on the heels of, of what we just talked about. How it is that God not only invests but reinvests in us. We're going to pause here and we're going, to, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper because you see, every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, as we receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine, we receive God's investment of love and grace and forgiveness and faith. And we believe that, that through the Lord's Supper, God is actively involved, delivering his grace and mercy and forgiveness to his people investing and reinvesting in us in the most significant and most important way possible, investing in us the way that we absolutely need for him to invest and reinvest in us. And so today as we do this, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, certainly come to the table acknowledging and receiving the God's, God's gift of, of, of forgiveness and faith that he gives to you. But today, I would ask that you also, as you receive that grace, that you would just simply be mindful of the fact that this is the most tangible and intimate way that God still fully invests and reinvests in each and every one of us. The Bible tells us that before we receive the Lord's Supper that we should make sure that we do so in a worthy manner. And by that, it just simply means that we would come before God and acknowledge our sin before him. That we would then, as we receive the Lord's Supper, receive that forgiveness for those sins. And so as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, I now ask you before God, who searches your heart, 
Do you confess that, you know, just like Adam and Eve ignored God's instruction concerning the use of all that he had given them, that you too have sinned against him. You've sinned against him in the things that you've said, the things you've thought, the things that you've done, as well as in the way that you too perhaps have ignored his desires for the investment that he has made in you. If that is your confession, then answer yes, this I confess. But do you also believe that it is only through the investment that Jesus made for you on the cross as you receive that investment through faith, the faith that God himself has put in you as well, that is only through that by which you are rescued, redeemed, reconciled, and restored by and with God? If so, answer yes, this I believe. Having now heard your confession of sin and your profession of faith, I proclaim God's goodness and his grace to you. And I assure you that just as he invested in us in the beginning, he reinvests in you now as he forgives you all of your sins. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way, also after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. At this time, I'd like to invite the assisting ministers to step forward. Uh, And as we receive the Lord's Supper this morning, I'd also like to remind you that uh, in light of the flu season, that we will observe uh, a method of intinction if you want to receive the the, the blood of Jesus Christ through the common cup. Uh, By that, we simply mean to, uh, when you receive your host, hang on to it and then dip it into the, uh, the common cup and receive both the body and blood of Jesus in that way. Would you please come forward? How'd that feel? Acknowledging and and receiving that reinvestment from God. A God who creates all things, everything's fully his, he gives it to us to invest. We don't always get it right in the way that we manage that investment. And yet he still comes and he reinvests in us with that which is the greatest thing, his son Jesus Christ. So as we sit here now and we uh, have that opportunity to like bask in, in the afterglow of God's reinvestment in us through his son, uh, I just want to now turn our attention away from God's investment to our investment. I'm not trying to separate them. You can't. It, it, it's, it's one feeds right into the other. But, but I want to just focus some time in talking about uh, you know, shifting our attention from how it is that, that God has done what he has done and and how it is then that we might best respond to that amazing reinvestment in us. And to start that out, I want to ask you to, to take a look at a verse that I shared with you back in week one. Uh, it's there on your outline, so go ahead and take your outlines out again. And join me about in the middle of the page, underneath the heading of our investment, you have a verse there. That next verse is from Romans 8, verse 32. I'm going to ask that you would read this verse with me out loud, so we're going to read it together. Again, Romans 8, verse 32, right there in the middle of your outline Uh, It simply says this. Would you join me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What a wonderful verse. Don't you agree? An awesome promise from God. A promise from God about how it is that he continues to invest in us. Uh, and, and I just want to kind of have you think about this. Don't answer. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer it out loud right away. But, but I, I just want you to think about the answer, your answer to this question. And it is just simply this. As you look at that verse from Romans 8:32, where it says that God didn't spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Do you believe that? Think about that for just a second. And all that that entails. In fact, maybe before you truly answer that question, maybe it's a good idea for us to talk about what it really means to believe. I think we use the word believe for a whole bunch of different things in life. Uh, you know, uh, we believe in this, we believe that, whatever the case may be. But what, is it, what does it really mean? And so I, I went to the authority on what it means to believe, Dictionary.com. I, I did go to Dictionary.com, but I don't believe it's the authority. Uh, but here's what Dictionary.com uh, says about the word believe. It says, uh, to have confidence in the truth, the existence, or the reliability of something. To have confidence or faith in the truth of, or to have confidence in the assertions of, like a person. And so here's how that kind of plays out in our normal everyday life. Uh, you, you played it out this morning when you came in, whether you realize it or not. But when you came in here this morning, whether you, like I said, whether you realize it or not or aware of it or not, uh, the reason you sat down where you sat down when you came in was because you believed that it would support you and your weight, right? Is that not what you did? How many of you would have sat down in the pew you're sitting in if you thought it was going to give way out from underneath you? That's what I thought. So you believed in that pew, that it was going to do what it said it was going to do, that you had confidence in the reliability of that pew, so you sat down. Uh, another example, uh, this just comes from our time as a staff. Uh, uh, we uh, were uh, in staff devos here recently, and, and somehow we started, we got off on the subject of physical therapy. And uh, uh, Dave Perkins, uh, he actually chimed in on that one. He said, well, I believe in physical therapy. When that statement of belief caught my attention, he said it with such conviction, so I asked Dave, I said, well, Dave, why do you believe in physical therapy? And without missing a beat, he said, because they delivered what they promised. Isn't that true? You don't keep going to physical therapy if it's not working, right? I mean, you're going there because they've promised to ease your pain or give you greater flexibility or in some way help you, and, and that's what they did. And he believes it because he went and they delivered on that promise. You see, believing in something or someone is actually trusting in what they say they're going to do, at least in part, because they have done what they said they are going to do. Like I said, that's why you come in and you sit down without thinking twice about it. That's why you go to people like physical therapists because they've, they've delivered before on what it is they said they were going to do. And all of that really goes a long way in telling us something else, a little something else about what it means to believe in something. And that is this, believing is not passive. We often think that it's a passive thing. We sit there and say, well, okay, yeah, I believe in this. And, well, you know what? The Bible tells us that even the demons believe in, uh, in God and they shudder. Because it's all intellectual assent. It's all just passive. Believing is something more than just being passive. It is actually active. You take action based on believing. Now, with that in mind, let's take a look at this verse again, Romans 8, verse 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with his son, 
graciously give us all things. Tell you what, before we answer that, let me, let me just share something else with you for, you for you to consider. If we believe something or someone because they are reliable and faithful to do what they say they are going to do, who better to believe than God? And I say that because all throughout Scripture, God consistently makes, promise, makes, makes a promise and then he fulfills his promise. Every promise that God has ever made, he has always fulfilled that promise. He says he's going to do something, and then he does that thing. Think about it. Even think about it with respect to the the promise that he made in Genesis 3.15 that we visited a minute ago. He promises a Savior, right? He says, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to send a Savior. His name's going to be Jesus. And then all throughout the Old Testament, he sends prophets, spokesmen, to come to his people, to come to you and to me, and share with us some interesting details about that Savior. Uh, For instance, through Isaiah, God says that 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 Savior was going to be born of a virgin. Uh, Through the prophet Micah, God said that he would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Through the psalmist, God said that his son's hands and feet would be pierced with nails uh, when he was crucified. And the list goes on and on. And the things I just mentioned are just a few of the things that Jesus could not have orchestrated himself to try and fulfill what the prophets were saying because he had no control over making sure that those things took place. He didn't have control over who his mom was going to be. He didn't have control over the place of his birth. He didn't have control over the fact that they were going to put nails in his hands and feet. And yet the Gospels tell us that that is exactly what happened to Jesus and many more things. God said these were things that were going to happen, and they happened, and they were fulfilled in him. Uh, A professor by the name of Peter Stoner, he calculated what the odds would be of Jesus fulfilling simply eight of the prophecies that concern him from the Old Testament. Uh, There were hundreds of them, but just what what are the odds would be of him fulfilling just eight of those prophecies? And he said it like this. He said, that would be similar to distributing silver coins all across the state of Texas to a depth of two feet. Got the picture? A depth of two feet. And then taking one of those coins, putting a special mark on it, throwing it out among all the rest of the coins, mixing it up up really good, bringing somebody in, putting a blindfold on them, telling them they can walk anywhere they want across the state of Texas, but they only have one chance to bend over, reach down, and pick up that marked coin. Professor Stoner calculated the chance of that happening is is the same as that of Jesus accidentally or coincidentally fulfilling just eight prophecies that were spoken about Jesus through the prophets. And like I said, he fulfilled hundreds of those things. God says it, and he does it. God did and still does Exactly what he says he's going to do. Now, in light of all of that, take a look again at Romans 8.32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. There's God's investment and reinvestment in us. He said he was going to do it, and he did it. It goes on and says, How will he not also along with him Graciously give us all things. 
Now, let me ask you, do you believe that? I guess not. <laughs> I think you do. In fact, I think this would be a good time for you to turn to somebody next to you and just say, I believe that. Go ahead. Yeah, isn't that awesome? What a verse. That God sends his own son to redeem us. And not only that, but in addition to that, he, 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 he also graciously gives us all things. What a great thing. And I'm so excited that you believe that. But you see, here's the deal. Remember, we said that believing wasn't just some passive thing, an intellectual exercise. No, it is active. It, it almost demands a response from us. And so real quickly, the question that we have to wrestle with in light of our believing is simply this. How am I acting out on my belief? And more specifically for our purposes today, and this question is for you in your outline, the question would be this. Is how I am investing the time, talent, and treasure that God has invested in me, does that align, is that in alignment with what, it, with what I say I believe? In other words, if I believe everything is fully God's and he therefore has the right to direct me how to invest that which he has invested in me, then how am I responding to those directions that he gives me in his word? Am I really believing that he will graciously give me all things? And he gives us many instructions about how to manage that which he has invested in us. I put just three of them in your worship outline here this morning. Uh, for instance, take a look at Levit Leviticus 29. God says a tithe or one-tenth of everything belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so basically there, God's saying, hey, look, here you go. What is fully mine, I give fully to you. Just, just return one-tenth of your time, your talent, and your treasure back to me, and then, and, and then rightfully use the leftovers. 90% are the leftovers when it comes to God. 90%, he says, you can use those to benefit yourself and other people and my kingdom. And I just think that sometimes... We just have to be able to stop and slow down long enough to look at our hearts and say, how am I doing on this one? How am I responding to God's instructions here? Exodus 23, he says, bring the best first fruits, the best of first fruits to the house of the Lord your God. He says, look, put me first in your investment of time, talent, and treasure. And I'm just saying, we have to stop once in a while and say, look, how am I doing on that? Malachi chapter 3, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then look at what he says. He says, test me in this. Yeah, friends, this is the only place that God says that, by the way. Test me in this. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. He says, go ahead, give it a try. Try to outgive me. And of course, the inference here is that, of course, you can't. You cannot outgive God. He graciously gives us all things, all that we need. And so we just, again, we need to pause and just ask ourselves, how am I acting out my belief in God through the way that I'm investing my time, my talent, and my treasure, that which he has first invested in me? And we posed that general idea to a, a group of, of people from St. Paul here recently, and um, we captured their responses on video. And so we're going to pause here for just a moment and have you allow them to speak to you through the video that's coming up on the screens. It's just a sampling of what uh, some people and how some people among us are responding to, uh, to God's investment in us. Uh, as, they, as they look and they understand those words from Romans 8 where, you know, he says... Yeah, you know, if he hasn't spared his own son, um, uh, 
will he not also graciously give us all things? That causes our cup, our cups to overflow. And that, that requires a response from us. So, so what does that look like for you? I mean, how are you living out? How, how are you living out your belief in God's investment in your life? Um, what are you doing? For instance, what are you doing with the time that God has invested in you? Time is a gift, right? It's a very precious gift. And when we look at it as, as a gift, uh, all of a sudden it becomes a treasured thing, a cherished thing, something that can be enjoyed, something that, that uh, can be used for the glory of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing with our time? You know, how much of our time are we uh, giving back to God in the form of prayer or Bible study or, or a daily quiet time with him, spending time just with him or, or investing it in, uh, in, in, in some way in, in the work that he has um, uh, among us here, that he has ordained for us in advance to do? Um, what about your talents and your abilities? Um, you know, God didn't give those to you just for your own purposes, to advance your profession or, or those types of things. They were given to you also so that you could benefit other people. And so uh, how do we invest those? How, you know, and, and how we do that determines uh, you know, how we fulfill God's purpose for our life and, and bring him glory. And what about, what about your treasure? I know we don't like to talk about it, but we have to ask that question. What does your investment of your treasure look like for God? Um, you, you heard uh, up on screen, you know, the, the, the biblical standard, it, it's, it's an easy one. It, it's, it's giving God the first 10% of your income. And a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ will take that seriously. And, and, and if you're, you're not there and you can't make that, you know, quantum leap, it might be a quantum leap for you because of just the way you've positioned some things. Okay, that's fine. But a fully devoted follower still takes that seriously and says, what's something that I can do? How do I take at least a step towards attaining that goal and, 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 and doing what it is that God has asked me to do. And you do that, you give your tithe to God, and you acknowledge him in doing that. You acknowledge him as the leader of your life, acknowledging that, 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 that you are forever grateful for the work that Jesus Christ has done for you on that bloodstained cross and, and believing that God will indeed keep his promises, that he will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessings on your life. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you, 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 you give him, you commit some, some, some dollars to him and he's going to give you more dollars back. It's not that. That's not what we're talking about. He might do that. He might not do that. But he does give back to us. He, he continues to give us all that we need. Our cups really do overflow. We cannot outgive God, not with our time, not with our talent, and not with our treasure.